0: Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Kirk Bodie. I'm a member of the preaching team here. Um, last, we're going through a series on about parables. Last week, Jake Herring was up here. He's one of our elders, and next week, Dave Lloyd will be up here. He's one of the elders. Um, and this is what I call the OG sandwich." That OG stands for "Old Guy." I'm in the middle between the two young guys, so it's an OG sandwich. Um, but prior to getting into our parables, want to we need to uh, mention that tomorrow is Memorial Day. And Memorial Day is a day that we celebrate and remember uh, those men and women who have died in service of our country. Um, over the years, they've given the ultimate sacrifice. So take some time uh, today to uh, ponder that, talk about it. Uh, and if you have opportunity, even tomorrow, go to one of the ceremonies that they might have around the area. Um, because we don't want to take for granted um, the freedoms that we have, of uh, not only to be here, uh, freedom to worship, freedom to assemble, freedom to speech, Um, And it's because of men and women in our past who have given the ultimate sacrifice for those freedoms. We never want to take that for granted. Um, So uh, let's pray. Fathers, we now open the scripture. We want to first remember God uh, and thank you for watching over our country. Thank you for those men and women over the years that have served, uh, that have sacrificed, some of which given the ultimate sacrifice. And we are the beneficiaries of that. We're able to be here today to worship you. We know, God, your hand uh, has been on them, has been on our country. We just ask you would continue to have your hand on our country, God. We just uh, remember those people today. May we never forget. Now, God, as we have a chance to open the scripture, your word, uh, your instruction to us, uh, may we have uh, ears to hear, hearts that are open to receive what you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, today we're going to continue through the parables and um, really to talk about. Today's parable talks about fairness. What is fair? And we live in a, a, the country, uh, America, where fairness is pretty important to us all. You know, uh, we bristle when our child doesn't make the baseball team, when some other kid who's not as good as our child, at least we think, makes the team. And as we say, it's not fair. Uh, or you're at promotion, you get bypassed a promotion at work, or you see someone that you know gets bypassed, and for no good reason, and we bristle and we say, Hey, that's just not fair. Um, I met this week with a young lady, half my age, who just was diagnosed with cancer, and through no fault of her own, and she didn't say it, but it could be said, That's not fair. It's not fair. You know, in our family, my my wife, Barbara, she has three sisters, so there's four of them. And in years past, we would get together at Christmas, and her dad would, we'd have gifts, and everybody got pretty much fair gifts. And one year, we remember specifically, everybody got gifts, and it was fine. And then all of a sudden, after all the gifts were opened, her dad says, I've got one more gift for Penny. So he gives Penny, he brings out a mink coat for Penny. Now, Penny is like 17 years old at the time. Uh, What a 17-year-old wants to do with a mink coat, I don't know. He thought it was grand. But we all, the rest of the daughters and the rest of us, were we're like, what is this about? It's just not fair. Because we try so much to be fair to our children, to our grandchildren, and to be equal, and things like that, because after all, life should be fair, and fairness matters. So we're going to talk about that in the parable today. But before we get into that, you know, parable is a method of communication, a method that Jesus used. You know, Jesus was the master teacher. If, there, if you were taking a class in education, you need to use Jesus as the ultimate educator. He used parables, which we're going to talk about here today. He used stories of everyday life. He used life examples, when he, like he washed the disciples' feet. He, that was an example to them, a life lesson of how to teach. Jesus taught in a myriad of ways. Some of the favorites are, he used what they call the hyperbole. The hyperbole, where if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, he didn't mean that literally. But he, a, hyper, a hyperbole is an over-exaggeration to make a point. Next week, give a little preview. Dave's going to be talking about counting the cost of what it means to follow Jesus and Jesus says, you must hate your mother and father. And he'll put it in context, so be sure and come back for that. But it's like, that's, that's, that's an exaggeration to make a point. But one of the best techniques Jesus used was parables. We all know lots of parables. The parable of the Good Samaritan. The parable of the different soils, for example. And there's so many good, healthy, positive kind of parables. But a parable uh, is kind of like... Well, first of all, let me give the definition of a parable. A parable is this. A short, fictitious story that teaches a moral or religious principle. A short, fictitious story that teaches a moral or religious principle. Now, parables are like jokes. They are designed to catch people off guard and elicit a response. Sometimes it's humorous if it has to be explained, it loses a lot of its force. That's just like a good joke. But they capture the listener off guard sometimes. They tease them. They cause them to think. Sometimes it's just pure shock. You know, one of the classic parables is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we lose a little bit of the shock value today, but when Jesus elevates in that story a Samaritan, we have to understand that first-century audience would have been aghast, would have been in shock that anybody would speak positively about a Samaritan. So parables are intended to elicit a response, to provoke, to cause people to think for themselves. There's a surface meaning, a good story, but there's a much deeper meaning. And Jesus often said, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because sometimes, just like a joke, they wouldn't get it. The parable would go right by them. Sometimes Jesus explained parables. Sometimes he didn't. The parable we're going to talk about here today is a parable that Jesus doesn't explain, um, and it really provokes people. And I hopefully it'll provoke us. I know it provoked me. It's the parable of the vineyard workers in Matthew chapter 20. So if you got your Bible or your tablet or your phone, you want to turn to Matthew 20. We're going to use. We're going to talk about the parable. What's called the parable of the vineyard workers. It really is about the owner of the vineyard, but it really is about God. It's about the kingdom of God, and it deals with important issues like justice, what's fairness, grace, mercy. It's not a real feel-good kind of story like some parables are feel-good parables. This is not a feel-good one. It it, it presents a difficult issue that's going to cause conversation, and if nothing else, when you leave today and you say, "What about that parable?" Hopefully, it will provoke some conversation about what it means, because it doesn't. We there's parts of it we just don't agree with. And when you study parables, you know we're a little bit at a disadvantage because we live in the 21st century, and you have to kind of transport yourself back to what would the first century audience think when they heard a parable. I mentioned the Good Samaritan, okay? Or a lot Jesus uses a lot of agricultural parables, one he uses today. So you need to get a grasp of the context and the culture and the audience anytime you open the Scripture. But here, let's, let's go ahead and read this parable. I'll read it, and then we'll break it down. It says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for the vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, for the day. That, a denarius is a sum of money that's equal to a day's pa- page. A little more than that, it's a generous day. So he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw some others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Surprising. Hey, they said, Hey, these who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them. He said this, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Now, there's the parable. Now, whenever you look at any passage of Scripture, including these parables, you kind of want to get the context of the parable. So to help understand it and meaning, especially what Jesus means here. And if you notice, the placement in Scripture is always critical. For example, in this case, if you look at the last... This starts out in Matthew 20, verse 1. If you go to the last verse of the preceding chapter, Jesus says this. But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. Then Jesus tells the parable. What does he say at the end of the parable? So the last will be first. And the first will be last. Now that is a literary technique called inclusio. It's where you bookend your passage with two principles. So when we look at this parable of the vineyard workers... We need to take these two points into account because it's a pretty good clue. That's what Jesus is talking about, about the last will be first and the first will be last. As a matter of fact, we're going to see when the foreman calls the workers to pay him, who gets paid first? The last. So what does Jesus mean about this last shall be first and first shall be last? Now also when you look at a parable, and this one's particularly This is in Matthew chapter 20, and if you had your scripture and you were to look at the next page, the next chapter, it's Jesus entering the final week of his ministry. So this parable was probably given about seven days or so prior to Jesus' death on the cross before the triumphal entry, which happens in chapter 21. Now the culture, you know, we need to understand about vineyards. I don't know if anybody here owns or operates or raises grapes for wine Probably not, but back then it was a very common occupation. And when the grapes are ready, the grapes are ready. It's not like, well, we'll get to it next week or next month. When the apparently when a grape is ready, it needs to be harvested. Urgent, necessary. Hence, they need a lot of day workers all of a sudden. And this landowner probably didn't have a staff of workers. He needed more workers, so he went to the marketplace, which is where people would gather looking for work, kind of like the union hall, or sometimes that's where people would hang around there, and if you needed a day worker to do a day job, that's where you'd go. And oftentimes the people waiting are lower-class workers. They're glad to get a day's work. And a matter of fact, the denarius is a day's wages, really a good day's wages. So they were happy to get any wage, let alone a very good day's wage. So we see that when the landowner goes and looking for day workers. So this parable talks about the principle of fairness. What is fair? And when we read this parable, we bristle. It's like, hey, why should the guy that worked for an hour get the same as the guy who worked for eight hours, even in the heat of the day? Because in our society, equality is everything. We live in a society where it's merit-based, and you get what you deserve, and you work, and it's merit-based. You demand your rights. I deserve it. I deserve it. That's our society. Socialism, on the other hand, is really defined as compensation or accumulation of wealth unrelated to work, unrelated to effort. And we say, That's not fair. Not fair. So let's review the parable. So the first laborers, they agreed to work all day for a denarius. They had a contract, they an agreement. I will work all day. The landowner says, "I will pay you a denarius." They had an agreement. Maybe it was a written contract, but at least it was an oral contract. They had a bargain, and note the payment: a denarius, a good day's wage. So then the second to the fifth wave of workers, the ones that came at 9 and 12 and 3 and almost closing time at 5, if you notice in the parable, the agreement was, I will pay you whatever is right. They didn't sign a contract for denarius. They got a contract for whatever is right. So we got these five different levels of workers. And then at the end of the day, the payment of the wages, the foreman comes, and they, if you, like I said, you know the order? The last were first. The last were first. But they all got a denarius. Now, the landowner was probably waiting. If he had sent, gave the first guys a denarius and they left, they wouldn't have known the other guys got more than that. He did it for, a, to make a point. So, the last four groups were probably extremely happy, very gen- that the landowner was very generous. But the first workers complained. They grumbled. They thought they deserved more. They wanted their contract, remember the other ones had a contract, they wanted their contract renegotiated. You know, we see that in sports, NFL football. Some quarterback signs a huge mega contract, the b- b- record-breaking contract with his team. And then two weeks later, some guy gets a bigger contract. So the first guy says, I don't like my contract. I want a new one. And they honor, they rip it up and they give them a new contract. Oftentimes people aren't of their word where it would be, it'd be, wouldn't it be nice if one of these major athletes were to say, that's the agreement I entered into. I'll stick by my agreement. Instead, it's not fair. I want a better deal. I deserve more. Why do these Johnny-come-latelys in our parable? Why do these Johnny-come-latelys get the same pay as I got? I worked all day, even under the hot sun. So these workers are whining and complaining to the landowner. Now, the landowner responds to the workers, and this is what he says. He says, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? He reminds him of the contract. Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And here's the key. Or are you envious because I am generous? That's the key. And then Jesus puts a rap on it when he says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. And if you were there in that audience, heard that parable, you'd say, Can you explain that, Jesus can you help us out here? You scratch your head. What does it mean the last will be first and the first will be last? So they deal with this issue of fairness. And we tend to focus, as you read the parable, on the first workers. And their claim that, hey, this is unfair. We bristle. When you read this parable, (coughs) you bristle at the unfairness because of what we consider to be fair. Our definition of fairness. You know, in, we all have heard the story of when Jesus is on the cross, the thief to his left or right has a last-minute conversion where Jesus says, this day you will be with me in paradise. And we, we know that story. But what if, what if you were the victim of that thief's thievery? And you get to heaven, and there he is. There he is. The guy who ripped your family off, and there he is in heaven. Would you say, that's not fair. How come he, he led a life of thievery, apparently, makes a last-minute con- conversion, and he gets the same deal I got? Or, bring a more contemporary, hypothetical. You die, you go to heaven, and you're looking around heaven... And there is Adolf Hitler in heaven. How would you react to that? Now, I asked somebody personally in the first service, the first uh, volunteer service, and he said, I'd be ticked. And I think anybody who doesn't agree with I'd be ticked is probably not telling the truth because we would bristle at that because it's not fair. But I think at that point, Jesus would, if I could explain to Jesus it's not fair, He'd pull me over and say, Kirk, Kirk, I have the right to be generous, and I'm being generous with Him. It harkens back a little bit to the, remember the parable last week, the older brother was upset because the younger brother got the fatted cow, and he didn't get any fatted cow. God can choose to be generous. He is a God that is generous, that shows grace. We tend to impose our own economy, our own ideas of fairness, justice on God. But is God unjust? In, In Romans, Paul, who writes the book of Romans, says this. He says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion It does not, therefore, depend upon human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. See, our sense of fairness and justice really boils down to human effort, worthiness, what they deserve. So I want to focus for a minute on three principles because the human values that we have are really contrary to God's values. We need to understand God's economy. Here they are justice, mercy, and grace. Justice is getting what we deserve. That's what the, the first workers wanted. They wanted justice. Okay? They got justice. Mercy is not getting all that we deserve. Sometimes we show mercy. And grace is God's way. God's way is not getting what we deserve. Because the last guys, waves 2 through 5, they probably didn't deserve a denarius. But God says, I will be generous and I will give them. I will show that God's lavish gift to us. See, the owners of the vineyard didn't treat any of his workers unjustly. They got, the first guys got what they con- contracted for. Just as the owner of the vineyard was free to be generous with anybody he wants to be generous with, so God has a sovereign authority to be generous with whom he chooses to be generous with. And fortunately, it's us. Because human values of fairness are upside down. God's kingdom is very hard for us to understand sometimes. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. It's it's an upside down kingdom. But we need to understand God's economy. And here's, here's a basic fundamental principle of God's economy. It's this. Salvation is not earned or deserved, but is a free gift God gives purely by His grace. Now, that is a fundamental principle of Christianity, and we all need to know that, because if you name Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you're the beneficiary of this, and that salvation is not based upon any kind of merit. A couple passages of Scripture here. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And it's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It doesn't make sense in our economy, but in God's economy it makes perfect sense. Titus 3, 5, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out generously. There's our God. Generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And you could take these verses and put it in your own first tense. For example, Titus 3, 5. He saved me. Kirk Bodie. He saved me. Not because of righteous things I have done or unrighteous things I have done. It had nothing to do with that. He saved me. Because of his mercy. That's how he saves. That's, that's, that's God's economy. And we see that dealing with the economy of the vineyard workers. Now an important secondary principle to this parable. Is that if we notice. It is the landowner who goes to the workers. They don't come to him looking for work. He seeks out and brings in the workers. That he chooses. As he chooses. And gives them work to do. See our salvation is entirely God's work. And that's the main reason why we have no right to make demands or set limits on God. It's His prerogative. It's His prerogative to alone show mercy to whom He wants to show mercy. You know, if you were to get a piece of paper out and draw a line right down the middle, and on the left-hand column, you'd write, what does God owe me? Let me make, I'm make a list of what God owes me over here. Um, wouldn't be much there. But then on the other side, you put, what do I owe God? And we'd be here all day. We'd be here all day. God doesn't owe us anything. But it's only through His grace and His generosity that we are offered salvation. So let's apply these principles to the 21st century to us. What is our problem? What what really do we deserve That was the complaint of the first workers about getting justice. They wanted justice because they wanted fairness. They wanted to get what they deserved. What do we deserve? Well, here's what the Bible says. We deserve nothing less than death, yet by grace we get life. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then continuing in Romans 6, for the wages of that sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But, by the way, one of my favorite words in the Bible, whenever you see the word but, usually it's good news coming. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need to accept absolute dependence on the grace of God. Because we are sinners deserving of death. Fortunately, for our problem, God has a remedy. His remedy is Jesus. Like in our parable, we have a generous God, giving us not what we deserve, but grace. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. But knowing all this really isn't enough. A response on our part is needed if we are to accept God's remedy for our problem. A response is needed. John 1.12 says this, Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. It is necessary to receive a gift. You know, in the, in the law, there is the donor and there is the donee. And a gift is not a gift until it's a completed gift. The donor can extend the gift, but the donee must accept the gift. Then it is a completed gift. God is the donor; He offers salvation to all who respond. But the donee, us, need to reach out and accept it. John 5, 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. But he has crossed over from death to life. That's the good news. So, in kind of a conclusion, whenever you read a parable, there's lots of meanings, but there's always one big point, one big takeaway. And oftentimes, we read this parable, we worry about the fairness, we worry about the guy next to us, uh, instead of being awed by the generosity of God. We've talked about the fairness issue, and certainly that's a part of the issue. The fairness, but here is the main point of the parable. Here it is. Fortunately for us, that's true, fortunately for us, God does not offer what we deserve, but extends the generous offer of salvation through His grace. That's the good news of the parable. God says, I choose to be generous, and fortunately, He's generous with us. See, He's, God's generous for us. He doesn't give us what we deserve, Thank God He doesn't give us what we deserve. We don't get justice, because according to the Scripture, justice would mean spiritual death. We get grace. We get exactly what we don't deserve. And we need to celebrate that grace. And you know, the, the principle, or the parable of the laborers here, wonderfully illustrates and exalts the principle of unmerited favor, of grace. What a great God we have who is so benevolent and generous that he hands out grace to people like you and me who don't deserve it. You know, my own response as I've read this, it needs to be and is profound thankfulness. Thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. I'm thankful that in the spring of 1972, God saw fit not to extend fairness to me or justice, but to extend grace to me. And save me as a cocky, rebellious, long-haired kid just out of high school. You know, I saw the movie Jesus Revolution. And I, I lived through that. And I see God working in a way. And in a lot of ways, both Barbara and I were the beneficiary of the Jesus movement at that time. God chose to intervene in our lives. I'm thankful that my wife got saved in 1972 as well, separate from me. God was working. What a great, generous God. You know, the song, we sung it many times. It's about amazing grace. It is amazing. It's grace. That's amazing in of itself. When you say, it's amazing grace. It's outrageous grace. It's unmerited grace. But that song is about us. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I'm thankful that he saved me. I'm thankful that he saved my wife. And if you're saved, be thankful today that God in his generosity didn't give you what you deserve, but gave you grace. And it's that same grace that offers salvation. It's offered to everybody. And if you've received that gracious gift of salvation, you've accepted it into your life by trusting Jesus with your life, then be profoundly thankful for that because he didn't have to do that. But if you haven't received that free gift, if you've not trusted Jesus as your own personal Savior and Lord, if you haven't done that, you need to do that, and receive that generous gift from a great, benevolent, loving, generous God. And our response to that grace is can be nothing less than worship of a great God. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, and it's It's called, you are worthy of it all. And it goes like this. You are worthy of it all. This is our God. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from from you all things and to you all things. Then the last line, you deserve the glory. And that's today. Our God is a generous, loving God. He deserves glory. Let's pray.